Billiken fans, welcome back. It's Zach Miller and Peter Hale. This is the Midtown Madness podcast where we don't know ball. Um, before we get going, thank you so much for listening. If you're watching on YouTube, don't forget to hit that like and subscribe button. Uh, it's season four. Once again, uh, the Midtown Madness podcast is brought to you by Two Men and a Garden and their many salsa and pickle products. Uh, Pete, I, I, I talk about it all the time. I'm tired of people trying to, you know, on podcasts and YouTube videos, talking about subscription services, this stuff that that's they're, they're selling it to you, that it's, it's you know, saving you money and you're going to eat better. That's just not true. That's why we talk about Two Men in the Garden. It's local. It's, it's you know, just really, really quality salsa uh, and pickles and, and so many other products. Uh, they taste amazing. Uh, and they've got all the flavors that suit your individual salsa preferences. Uh, if you're out at the grocery stores, you can pick up their many products at, you know, Schnucks, Deerberg's, um, doesn't really matter. Uh, you can get their salsa there. Um, or if, if you really are particular about your salsa preferences, uh, you can hit them up on two men in a garden.com and buy your salsa directly from the source. Follow them on social media at Two Men Salsa on Instagram and Twitter. Pete, Pete, uh, we just can't get away from uh, the weird slew tangentially related stories. Uh, I mean, what? What? This this is going to be a, a tough one to kind of like eat around the the shit if you will so yeah this try as we might sometimes slew cannot stay out of the headlines and uh, this is one that actually you know got picked up by some national media sources as well it's weird because it didn't really get picked up by i didn't see it on fox 2 now which is the one the like the local tv news i checked and then stl today didn't have it yeah, I, I thought I remembered seeing something in STL today about it, but um, I definitely found a few other. I don't remember which local news broadcast it was. I found found it on one of their websites. I looked at Riverfront Times. I looked at a few other local places when I was reading about it. But but the Riverfront Times, solid news source. Hey, any I wanted to get <laughs> as many perspectives as I could, you know, and I, uh, and I say that just because it's really just a like a a fun magazine. <laughs> it's the lo- the local alt weekly and and yeah i mean like like any other media news source or they they've they've struggled right I mean, yes like, anyway this yeah. is the, the story here uh is is about reparations zach last week we talked about the you know world war ii chancellor of pre-world war ii chancellor of austria this week we're getting into reparations because we're moving closer to present day in our uh you know, in our St. Louis history uh, uh, journey through time. So descendants of the people enslaved by St. Louis University announced this past week that they calculated how much labor and wealth was stolen from their ancestors and came up with a range of $361 million to over $70 billion. And I think that very Uh, wide range with a very large figure on the high end of it is why that this got a lot of headline attention, right? Yeah. I mean, when there's a group of people on campus with with 
you know, saying they've descended from the people who built campus uh, and were not paid for it. Um, that's a that's a big range. That's a huge top dollar figure, and that's exactly the kind of thing that's going to get a, a lot of attention. And that's what has happened um, to SLU in the past couple weeks. Yeah, it, it's it's really wild, and I think when you see that seventy billion dollar range, I think there can be a lot of a lot of people who are like, well, there's there's a couple there's a couple reactions. It's like, okay, that's 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 meant to grab headlines and get attention. Mm -hmm. And then there's also the reaction of, wait a minute, is it possible that we might need to pay $70 billion? Uh, we, we still need a lot of money for that buyout. Uh, how are we going <laughs> to pay the $70 billion? Can't do both. Got to pay. No. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, so, well, yeah. so, so, so to kind of give a little more background here. So this group is called descendants of St. Louis university enslaved or D with an E at the end for short. And while they acknowledge that SLU um, has, quote, taken steps to recognize and memorialize its history through the Slavery, History, Memory, and Reconciliation Project, which is the SHMRP for short, there is still more to be done, specifically working with university leadership to come up with a plan to compensate the descendants for what they are rightfully owed. So in terms of numbers here, Zach, researchers have identified 70 people as being enslaved by SLU. It might be more, but the, there, are, there are the 70 that they have definitely identified through, through paperwork at the time. Now, the Jesuits, the order of the Jesuits, have relied on slave, had, past tense, Men relied on slave brothers. labor. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, it, it, they had done it around the world from the time that they were founded back in 1540, including in the U.S. until 1865, obviously when slavery was abolished. So Slaves were used to support Jesuit churches and schools in Missouri, Maryland, Pennsylvania, Kentucky, Louisiana, Alabama, Illinois, and Kansas, a couple non-slave states in there even. You're not getting off the hook, Loyola, Chicago. Yeah, that's right. But SLU, Georgetown, and Spring Hill College specifically all relied on directly on slave labor, building buildings, performing other services on campus. So, you know, we know SLU was founded in 1818, which precedes the state of Missouri by three years, let alone uh, the abolition of slavery, which is, was another 47 years. So it is it is hard to, without even, it, even if you knew no specifics whatsoever, it's hard to imagine that there was not, in a, in a state where slavery was legal, that there was not slave labor involved, given almost five decades of existence before it was abolished. So SLU spokesperson, Clayton Barry said the school couldn't provide a detailed response yet, but he acknowledged that the university's participation in slavery was a grave sin and said their efforts to reconcile with this shameful history have been slow, and we regret the hurt and frustration that this has caused and promise to continue the reconciliation work and reestablish connections with descendant families. This so, is Zach, a, this is an interesting statement, and I like like I can't like it's you and I have like I'm very much like a and I'm not belittling any sort of politics, but you and I have very different levels of like what hits our radar is things that are like majorly like okay, this is this is a this is this is a wild story to me. It's a wild story to you. You're like, yeah, okay, like we got to talk about this. Um, but like this, it's so crazy for the way he talks about it is almost like it's, it happened like 20 years ago. 
Mm-hmm. Like, it's just kind of funny. The, just the way he talked about it. I thought the statement was kind of like, I, I'm looking at this as like, oh, this is not good, but also just a wild story with insane quotes across the board, no matter where it's coming from. Sure. Well, I think I think he's taking an, uh, an approach of like, I want to be as sensitive as possible. Yes. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, a hundred percent. I'm just saying, like, yes. It's just so. It's right. so very. Make sure you hit everything, so yeah, that nobody to, 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 to not acknowledge anger anybody. Yes. You acknowledge the reality of it. Be as sensitive as possible, but not really commit to anything at the same time. Yes. So, so you know, I, I sort of understand where they're coming from there, but. In the meantime, I looked at into what other schools in similar situations have done. Georgetown, we've already mentioned. Georgetown created a four hundred thousand dollar a year reparations fund. So the, the the Georgetown and the Jesuits combined vowed a total of twenty seven million dollars, split ten million from Georgetown and seventeen million from the Jesuits um, overall to help fund that. And I'll circle back to that later. Um, Harvard is at the high end of this. They set up a hundred million dollar endowment fund for slavery reparations. I'm not sure what the current funding status is, but for reference, their overall endowment is estimated to be close to $50 billion. Um, so that that's like a, a drop in the bucket compared to their overall endowment. And I don't think they could just peel that out of this, but they could probably raise $100 million pretty fast given that they're Harvard. I, I also um, just realized, like I just learned how endowment funds work. <laughs> like yes. I didn't realize that it was... They take all these donations and then they put it. It's like a hedge fund. It's 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 pretty interesting, and then it's also it's come up a lot recently because a lot of people have asked, or some people have asked, why can't we just pay Ford's buyout or the next coach or whatever? Because it's project tied up in investments from the endowment. Yeah, there's there's a there's a lot of reasons you can't just say, hey, we need to pull this amount of money out of the endowment so we can get rid of a coach we don't want anymore. It's not that simple. But An endowment is not exactly a liquid asset. Yes, nor is it a slush fund for athletic projects, but we'll get Although that it should be. Time. It should be. <laughs> It'd be more fun that way. Yes. It'd be better at sports. Absolutely. Uh, the, st- the Commonwealth of Virginia passed a law requiring five public universities, including VCU, to, quote, make reparations through scholarships or community-based economic development and memorial programs. Um, and then the UVA, the University of Virginia, set up Universities Studying Slavery, the USS, a consortium of over 100 colleges, including some in Canada and Europe, um, sharing best practices as they work through dealing with slavery in their histories. And SLU is one of those schools participating um, in, in that. So I guess I, I want to just at a high level here, Zach, like like just go over some of like what this actually means. This is a national movement. Right. I mean, it's been around. It's been happening for a while. Brown University back in 2006 um, started a a fund because of of some of the some of their history. And that's that's up in Providence, Rhode Island. Um, You mean mafia connections? That's that was there. That was that was what it was for. Buddy Cianci was. Yeah. No. Yes. So, I, I mean, those those schools are so old, you know, like like Brown and Harvard. It's it's like it's even a. The history there goes even farther back, but the point there is like this is not a new thing. It's just happening to hit SLU now. It's the dollar figure that you're seeing in the headline that's that's what's he- that's grabbing the attention, and that's made it a bigger story. I really have not seen examples of school actually being legally required to make payments. 
it seems like everything that they're doing so far have been discretionary and they're usually done in tandem with groups like D slew these these groups that have kind of raised the issue or come at the universities with with demands or you know or or, or whatever you want to call it um so so i i haven't seen anything like this like become a big legal case that's that's gone up the chain um, <laughs> i just caught this line in the note holy smoke that is in that is an insane line and i can't wait to get to it okay you, so what would generally whatever they come up with the schools and 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 these the groups that they're working with are are much smaller in terms of dollars and they're going to include things like education memorialization and in turn in addition to some financial commitment terms right so the jesuits announced to a few years ago in 2021 an initial pledge of 100 million toward an overall goal to raise 1 billion dollars for the descendants of truth and reconciliation foundation so the pledge to to georgetown as we said already was 17 million of that amount and Zach, I think there's there's a line now that that really grabbed your your eye. Yeah, uh, in in 1838, the Jesuit the Jesuits sold 272 enslaved people from plantations in Maryland to pay off Georgetown's debts. Yep. Did they have yeah. to? Did they have to buy out a basketball coach? I, I don't think that would have happened. Okay. At the time. Okay. No. No. Okay. Just check. But but that that so that kind of gives you okay. So so there's been a 27 million dollar commitment there that part of it is a four hundred thousand dollar a year reparations fund but the number is much bigger than slew right it's 272 but at the same time they're not talking about the ongoing labor necessarily which is what d slew is talking about when when they're talking about you know their ancestors that were at slew's campus this is like the one-off sale of enslaved people it's i mean it's it's crazy to think about all of this right it, it's, it's crazy to try and come up with numbers today it's it's it, like it, i'm it already i'm trying to envision like they had them like in some sort of housing obvious like it is a crazy like there has to be infrastructure infrastructure right for that it's just mind-boggling it, it, it is it's it's you know it really is and and it's also wild to me that that here we are you know two centuries later after after slew's founding um not really have having have addressed it you know properly right like like you wish like you could go back to 1865 it's not just like it's over now and now we're on a level playing field right like obviously there's a long and save yourself and mo some money after that and when we don't have the you know obviously the time or the expertise or anything to get into it but it's like that's that's a there's a a lot of things that you would go back and change right to where th this would not even be a conversation today and that's that's the shame of it is is how long we have to uh, uh how long the tail on this is and yeah. and and and, and th we're just now coming up with ways to deal with it, it i mean it's all like it's all terrible but I think at the at the end of the day, this is not going to. It's seventy billion is not a figure that is realistic, and I think everybody involved knows that that would be the end of Slew, period, yes. as we know it. If you liquidated all of their assets, including the endowment, um, you would you would just make a dent in that figure, right? Like it, it would, it wouldn't even come close to covering that amount. So, um, so I think everybody realizes that. And when you look at what other schools 
whether you want to look at it in terms of their overall endowment, whether you want to look at it in terms of just the hard dollars, it seems like it's not anywhere near that is is what they're coming up with at the end. And and this is an ongoing, evolving thing, and we'll see where it goes. But for anybody who's worried about this, I guess I would just say like, d- just don't overreact to it, right? Like, like yeah. SLU's going to do the right thing. They're going to work with the group. They're going to do the right thing. And they're going to, Slew's going to be fine. At the end of the day, yeah. they'll be fine. And I, th- um, I, I think it's, I think a lot of people have the, see, like, so, so I think people were, were kind of frustrated that you let a, a non slew group, a group not, a, st- a non student group, so to speak, uh, on campus to do, to hold a press conference. And I think I look at this one a little bit differently. Like, I don't love that. People that that people that are you know asking for seventy billion dollars are allowed to to do that do that on campus like that that's kind of uh, tough to to swallow. I mean, of course, I'm looking at this from a different position than you know those who are holding it because I'm sure a lot has been tough to swallow for them throughout the years, right? But I think with this, it's it's a little bit because I think people are looking at it with the history of the uh, the Occupy slew. And then the clock tower accords. And I think it was, that was a protest, you know, where you're like, that's just whoever wants to come on campus to protest can come on campus. And I think that's where, I think people were right to be like, wait a minute, let's not allow just anybody to to set up shop on the campus steps, which is understandable. Uh, but I think with this one, it's, it's just, it's a, it's a press conference. It's not, they're not, they're not setting up encampment you know, demanding that they be paid before they leave. So it's, it's not like that. I think, I think it's, it's a right move. It's, it's, it's a good, you know, it, it's good to work with them instead of, you know, firing back at them. Yeah. I, I don't. Yeah. And, and some people were saying like, yeah, why, why are they being allowed on campus? And like Beyondy never would have done that. <laughs> he probably wouldn't have. That's very well yeah. tr- might be true, but I mean, like you already have a headline that, your university mm-hmm. relied on slave labor for the first four and a half decades of its existence. Sure. You want to add to that. And now you won't let their descendants come on campus yeah. or, or you had DPS chase them off campus. Well, like the youth, you think the, the photos from that are going to be great. You think the headlines are going to be flattering and you've now given them all the more mm-hmm. ammo that you're the bad guys, like stop being the bad guys. So mm-hmm. I think um, the way they've handled it is, is absolutely the right thing to do. They're, they're minimizing their potential financial downside risk here. And um, at the same time, acknowledging the, the wrongs of, of what they did 200 less than 200 years ago. And, you know, I, I, I just, I, I think in the end, it's not going to be billions of dollars. It will be some financial commitment. There will be more memorial and education and community outreach and all of the, it's going to be a multi-layered approach and they're going to do the right thing. And I hope that the group in the end is satisfied with what SLU um, and it comes up with it, it, which I'm sure will be done in cooperation with them. So uh, you know, I, th- I think anybody who's kind of worried about this or just reacting to the headline or whatever, just kind of take a deep breath and know that SLU's not going away and and it'll be fine. Unfortunately, we do have basketball to talk about. We do, we do. 
So another embarrassment to the university, slightly less important, but yes. an embarrassment it nonetheless. The, it, it certainly puts basketball in perspective. It, it does. Um, an, uh, an embarrassing defensive performance um, on Friday the 16th. 95 points scored by VCU. Uh, the Billikens looked fine on offense. Uh, with uh, They put up 85 points, but in the end, a 10-point loss at home against a conference rival. Uh, you have to hold serve. Uh, it, it was the Billiken blizzard inside. It was more of a blizzard outside than really inside, Pete, because uh, not many people showed up for this one. No, and in the end, it seemed like the roads maybe weren't as bad as people had feared. Uh, you know, reading the the forecast that day, it seemed like they were going to get one to three inches of snow and that roads could get a little slick. But it seemed like the roads, it, which is the same thing that happened here in Cincinnati a few hours later, by the way, we got like two inches, but the roads were totally clear. So no. like it wasn't a problem. I guess it was warm enough in the, the it, week leading up to it. It was interesting because I went to the gym at lunch and I had gotten there before, like as it was starting to snow. And when I looked outside, when I left, as I'm leaving this, there was snow on the ground. It was a pain in the ass to get home. But like later in the day, it was, it was fairly okay. I did. I have not taken 170 one time this season. I took 170. And of course the on-ramp, there's an accident blocking the entire on-ramp at wow. page and 170. Yeah. So I sat there for like 15 minutes and had to like inch along through like this narrow corridor. Um, but yeah, it was, it wasn't bad. Uh, it was cold. Walking through snow is not fun, obviously, but, uh, yeah, I thought, I thought people could have probably gotten out and braved this, the snow, but I, I mean, it, it, this Billiken basketball season is not one for which people are really going to take risks like that yeah i think i think had uh had the roles been reversed here and i think vcu had come into this game winning what eight of nine or nine of ten or something like that and um getting back in the mix for a top couple spot in the in the the conference and i think if you if you switched our uh, our seasons and and if we yeah. were that team i think people would be showing up to watch what we're going to do next and see if we have a chance for a postseason. But as as it stands, it's like unless conditions are all ideal and you have nothing going on, you're just not going to see this team play, uh, no matter what the weather's like. Um, I think I'm there. I think I think at this point, like I don't really feel like driving down to Shafitz anymore. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, I'll, I'll I, go to Dayton. I'll go to the Dayton game because Arch Baron Cup. But mm -hmm. I, I mean, what's the well, am I going to spend 20 minutes driving there, two hours watching the game, 25 minutes getting out? It's right. dealing with the – I mean, it's a shit show at, at uh, Compton and uh, and 40 there. Right. It's a nightmare. Um, yeah, but, I certainly don't begrudge anyone who cannot get motivated for these games anymore. No. I mean, clearly uh, the Billiken defense or – the the coach's defensive plan there, there's no motivation to come up with anything um i no. i don't know what's go i i truly don't i'm we're gonna get into the, the 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 quotes after the game because they were a little like they were staggering honestly um but it, it was just it, it the defense is just awful 
They can't guard one on one. They can't guard as a team. They they all nobody can focus long enough to through a shot clock. We did a twenty four second shot clock because that's yeah. about as long as we can keep our attention. Yeah, and I think that's being generous. I mean, Slew's scoring has been fine. We scored fifty in the second half, gave up fifty three. The game was actually tied at sixty one with a little over twelve minutes to play. And Slew had it within one possession several times after that, but the G- defense just couldn't string stops together. I mean, it's it's kind of the same old story, and we've diagnosed what's wrong with the defense, I feel like, every week lately. So I don't know if we need to get into every reason, but it's just, like you said, not there. It's not there on an individual or team level. It's terrible, and every team and every player seems to have record nights against us. You know, VCU had not scored more than 87 all season, they come to SLU and they beat that by eight. They scored 95. Uh, Joe Bamasil, 27 points. He scored 29 the last time we played. So certified Billiken killer. Uh, yeah. Max, Shul- Max Shulga quietly ended up with 26 because, you know, he was having an average game before that and then hit two backbreaking three pointers late. Uh, the first one felt like a dagger, but the second one was really the one that, that put us out of our, uh, of, of any hope of winning this one. So it's just the, it's the same old story, Zach on, on defense. It's, it's hard to watch teams just get whatever they want against slew. It's just it time and time again. And it's hard to sit here and get excited about the next line, which is sincere Parker scores 30 points for the third game in a row. I mean, on in any other year, that is like, we're sitting here gushing over sincere Parker, but you know, uh, he he's the first to do it since Larry Hughes. That's so many. That's what that's 25 years, 26 25, years. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we are having like, we, he is having an, a, an historically good stretch on offense. And this team is historically bad on yeah. in, in every other way possible. Except for maybe three-point shooting. Yeah. 97 points in three games. He was 10 of 16 from the field in this one. Four of six from three. Keep shooting. And six of nine from the free throw line. He bombs them. He really does. And you can tell when he's feeling it too, right? I mean, he's just just had that swagger the past three games where he just feels so confident every time the ball leaves his hands. And he's had a few heat check shots, a few that have been... Like when he's missed, he's missed like by a lot on some of his, his misses. But... Man, oh man, every other shot you just feel so good about the second it, it leaves his fingertips. Um, and it's it, just a shame that that is getting wasted in these abysmal defensive efforts. Not only is he great from the outside, he is, uh, I don't, he has supreme body control in the air. Supreme body. Like he is, if this guy could defend at an average rate, he'd be a lottery pick. He's yeah, I mean he's slippery. He's like this is when I when I watched him in um, JUCO, right? Like I'd I'd watch I watched some of his games when he was in JUCO. I watched a lot of any highlights of his I could find, and this was kind of like the best case scenario. You know, I think he said, "What did you say last week?" The Parker we were promised. Yeah, like the he would pull up from anywhere. He was slippery getting to the rim. He was really fun to watch, and I know some of that is highlights, and I know. The rest of it is like, yeah, I'm watching a, a Juco game and defense there is a lot more like SLU's defense than VCU's typical de- defense. But um, 
th this really was like the the guy who you thought, okay, what's the best case scenario for this player at SLU? We're seeing it finally. We really are. And, he, and not only are we seeing it, but he's stringing games together. It's not just like every once in a while he goes off. Um, like he's he's there. He's he's really doing it. Again, we, we just we just need more than that, right? Yeah. Scoring's not the problem. We had a little disagreement over yeah. a over a a tweet. Yeah. So Stu Durando was around after the game, and apparently it was I think it was uh it was um well it was sincere Parker getting shots up after the gym had cleared, and. My and I kind of was like, look, like it's great, but uh, you're you're practicing the thing you're you're a killer at. Like, let's let's work on the 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 shortcomings of the game. You know what I mean? Like, I don't like it doesn't it doesn't do anything for me to for him to be out there shooting. I I, I understand that, but like I I look at it like, okay, the dude's hot. He's feeling it. He's feeling confident and he's feeling like he's in a place where he wants to go get up some more shots. And I'm, I'm fine with that because like his, yeah, if you say like his defense is broken, fine. But like, what do you do by yourself after a game yeah. to fix that? What is he Watch gonna, like, film, baby. Watch film. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, like there's always that, right? Like there's always that, like it, it's very, I, I think that's right. Like you got to get in there and and really watch yourself. And it's hard to do sometimes, but you got to watch yourself. And and if sincere really did, I think he would see a guy who kind of gets caught watching the ball, and and losing track of his man a lot of a lot of times. So by the time his man does get the ball, he's usually got enough room to do whatever he wants against Parker. And that's and that's not what you want to see defensively. So. Um, there's definitely some individual stuff he has to work on, but it's a whole team problem, Zach. I mean, it's it's not just it's not just like one guy, um, you know, losing his assignment. It's the, the the whole team's defense is just broken here. It's it's bad. I, you know what I will say? He had some really nice defensive possessions early in the game, mm. where he he played really good man to man defense. Uh, you know, I think he 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 rushed some shots on some guys. Uh, I think he got a steal in there too. Uh, but I, I, you know, I liked the, how present he was and how, you know, uh, active I thought he was on defense and, and, uh, but it, it just didn't, it didn't last. Um, and, and that's to, that's not to just single out Parker. It, it doesn't last for anybody on this team. Um, the mm. amount of easy baskets we give up is, is preposterous. Yeah. Yeah, for uh, sure. uh, fouling is a, is a huge issue for this team. Um, I don't, I, I this team. Well, we went over why they foul in the first place so much. Yeah. And it's kind of, it's kind of a last resort when nothing else on defense is, is right when you're not doing it, it well. And then it's just the fouling Zach, but in this time, in this game, it was bad fouls at bad times. I, th I think about the technical foul that Hughes got. You um, were like, what happened? I was like, well, he slammed the ball into his chest. Well, so when I first saw it in the game you from like in live time, I couldn't quite see from that angle. And I, I will admit not wearing glasses when I should be um, at night watching this thing from the couch. Um, I didn't see him pop the ball down in the in Bamisil's chest, but what they went for a loose ball. Bamisil landed on Hughes. He got called for the foul just like he should have been. But getting up, 
Hughes said something to him and shoved the ball in his chest and got a tee. And then after that, VCU goes on a 9-0 run. And it was a really, it was a really close game before and, and, that. And Hughes missed the free throws. He missed the free throw and then VCU yeah. goes on a 9-0 run. Yeah. So so yeah, he he missed the free throws that he was already getting. So it's just like, I, I know you're frustrated, but like just suck that up and accept the foul. Like the guy got the foul. That's that's yeah. what you want. And then as a Wiro, you know, his usual bunch of like boneheaded, needless fouls. Uh, it, he's always good for those. Thames had two fouls in his first three minutes in the first half, which put him on the bench. Parker wound up with four in this game. It's um, it's everybody, Zach. It's a whole team problem, and it's because they don't do all the things on defense that you need to do to not put yourself in a position where your last option is to foul a guy. Uh, one more little note on the fouls. Uh, I, I mean, the officiating in this game was super tight. I, I, I think everybody in the arena, like, I think you tweeted it out. Like, I, I was ready to tweet out exactly what you ended up tweeting out is that, hey, like, strap in, folks. This is going to be uh, a, a yeah. marathon of five minutes. I think it was with 513 left, um, and there were 21 fouls already that half. Um, and we wound it up with 44 for the whole game and it just got tighter and tighter as the game went on. Like the second half was tighter than the first half. And over the course of the second half, it got like tighter and tighter. Like there was a lot of stuff. Where I was like, I mean, I didn't think they were, you know, against like not giving slew home. Coach. I didn't, it wasn't like an imbalance between the teams. It was just the way they were calling the game. Yeah. They were, they were calling it that tight and that made it um, not the most, enjoyable I think we I, I feel like we've gone down this road before I feel like we've said these exact same things <laughs> I think every game feels like that when we allow a ton of points when a team sets their season high mark when the when the officiating is balanced but still not great um yeah it's a lot <laughs> it's a, it's a lot of the same things we hit all the time but that's just that's just how it goes at this point uh, some bright notes on offense. Uh, TJ Hargrove had 18 and four. Uh, Jimerson and Ezawiro had 13 apiece. Uh, Brad was was pretty good at the line. I thought, you know, he had his boneheaded fouls, but you mentioned uh, how much he was drawing fouls in this one. He was, and there were times where it kind of looked like, okay, like I think he might be the smarter player in this a particular assignment. Like he was getting guys off their feet, uh, making some post moves, um, getting guys to like bite on head fakes and stuff like that. And he was nine of 11 for the line and from the line. And I, I was really happy with that. It was just then the fouls at the other end. You're like, Brad, what are you doing? Like, you've got these guys beat. You don't need to do that. So, uh, you know, aside from that, I, I thought a lot of his offense was pretty smart, even though it was mostly coming from the line in the end. Um, Thames nine points in 17 minutes with a couple of really nice buckets. I think a, a good, a nice three and then a kind of a, a slippery move to the basket to score. Yeah. And stay out of foul trouble and, and he'd have double digits easily. And, you know, he did try a couple times to do too much. There was one coast to coast layup attempt in particular where he tried to sort of, you know, he was like Spider-Man going to the basket and did one too many twists and turns on the way up. And I think he missed it. And people were kind of on his case on uh, on the message boards and social media about that. But, um, I, you know, he was feeling pretty confident after a couple other nice layups like you referred to already. But he, he's just got to stay out of foul trouble again and again. We say it, but 
gotta stay out of foul trouble. Yeah, it's uh, that's uh, it's just I, I like you know I think Thames and Hughes do bring some more defense than anyone really else, but they play a lot of defense with their hands and their arms. They do, and uh, there's just not a lot of. I mean, there's not, excuse me, there's not a lot of, like, just technically sound, fundamental defensive movement, you know? Mm-hmm. It's it's just the antithesis of anything that we've seen. I mean, and none of these, not, the, the, the veterans really haven't gotten better. I, and I, I, maybe they have, but not enough to make up for the fact that this team doesn't play well together defensively. Uh, yes. I mean, you look at a guy like Jimerson who had had shown improvement up until this year. I thought he was getting better and better defensively every year, but now without a guy like Yuri Collins, uh, a guy like, I mean, Fred Thatch, you can throw in there any sort of defensive stopper. Jimerson's one of the better defenders out there all at all times at the guard position. So he's taking on a, a tougher assignment now. Um, Sincere Parker's never been a defender like and and not really played any minutes to where we could get an idea against like top talent. Now he's the first guy. Now he's got to be in there. Um, Larry Hughes played five, 10 minutes a game last year. Uh, I mean, you didn't again against probably second teamers. I, it's just a lot of these guys have not improved enough uh, to, 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 you know, succeed in their new bigger roles. And I think that has, I think that has much to do with the coaches, not, you know, bringing them along and developing them as much as it has to do with personal work ethic. Yeah, I think that's right. And and you look at when you when you talked about Thames and Hughes in particular using their hands too much. I mean, those are guys who are they're long, lean. They're they're kind of all arms and legs as younger players and they've got to really really work on their footwork and 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 their their hand checking, you know, not extending their arms too long when they're making contact with another player. That's the kind of stuff that comes in time as you're kind of growing into your game, growing into your body a little bit more. I get that. But they've really got to stay focused on that because um, they can try it and 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 get away with a little too much, and that's harder to do when you're that long, right? When you're when you're that long and and all limbs at this point. So just something that they always have to be aware of. But Zach, the other issue here is Slew really got beat on the glass. Yeah, yeah. Def- defend and rebound, uh, and and this team does neither of those things. Yeah. Uh, out rebounded 39 to 24 with VCU getting 19 second chance points off of 14 offensive rebounds. I I mean, there's just, there's, they have nobody that you had. How many times am I going to say this? Tra- you had 40 minutes to give a transfer in the portal at the five. Yeah. And we have Ezawiro. And and Ezawiro would be a fine addition to a team if he had help. And and to be honest, I'll, I'll be honest, you know who I really liked in this one? SVB. Yeah. SVB. 
I, yeah. he had a a very nice game for a freshman, and I thought he got hosed by the refs on that over the back call. Yeah, I thought so too. Uh, but but yeah, he's he certainly has, I think, more soundness when it comes to positioning. Yes, and that's that's I think Bruce's biggest issue. Yes, and th- I'll go to his play first because like Bruce. It, his, this defensive rebound in particular, and this was a segment in the game in the first half where I was like jumping out of my skin. Like, will somebody just grab the ball every time a defensive rebound opportunity would come down? Mm-hmm. So he was a kind of a step, half step out of position. Ball comes up and he's tipping it, trying to tip it to a teammate on the defensive end. And it's like, Bruce, buddy, offense, fine. Anything you can do to keep the ball in play and give yourself another possession, fine. Defense, get your other arm up there and grab the ball. Yeah. You do not tip it because now you're you're putting a 50-50 ball out there. And it wound up, of course, in VCU's hands. It, it, that 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 drove me insane. But it also drove Travis Ford insane. <laughs> Ford and I on the same page mm. as as usual. That's a red flag for you. <laughs> so their their defensive rebounding is just as a team so bad they're always out of position they don't communicate at all you don't really see the effort i i don't think conceptually defensive rebounding is all that hard and so it always frustrates me more than than anything else when i see a team be this bad at it it's like watching a, a kid's team play mm-hmm. you know and you're just like will you guys just go get the ball they're like you, running around. How do you like, like, I know they haven't seen as many balls come off of rims and they have no idea where it's going to go and stuff like that. But like box your man out mm-hmm. and get the ball. Like mm-hmm. I like, like let's not complicate this guys and watching them get outworked and, and out positioned on their own glass. It drives me up a wall to no end. And, and this game was, I think one of the most egregious this season in terms of how poor defensive rebounding was. Yeah, I what what did you think about Travis Ford's comments after the game on on rebound or well first of all defense and how you know this team doesn't want to be physical like they need to learn to be physical on defense because I think this has been a, a drum he's been beating for a while now and I mean like at what point do you just say okay we got to figure something else out like it's not just go out there and defend guys be physical because they yeah. are being physical illegally so. Yeah, so I it part there's a part of me like I believe him, right? If he if he's like this particular group of guys, I can't motivate or they're not as physical as I'm used to or whatever. It's like, you know Dude, what? He's 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 probably right. He's you know what the funny right. part you know what the funny thing about this this that he said this is? Did you see Patino's quote right before yeah. we went? Yeah, ah! so so the, as we record on Sunday night, Patino has made some pr- some pretty remarkable comments about his own team at St. Yeah. John's. They and sound oddly familiar. They're making the rounds, and he's ripping into the talent level of his players. Uh, but yeah, but anyway, no he he said this team doesn't. Uh, this isn't. A, oh, he said it was. He said a lot, Zach. I mean, it, but it, no, it, it was it was straight out of. Um, it was straight out of Ford's mouth. It really, really was. Yeah, some um, of it was, but I think he went even farther with with his. Comments. Oh yes, he said things that Travis Ford can only dream of saying. Um, he said, "We kind of lost this season with the way we recruited. We recruited the antithesis of the way I coach. It's a good group. They try hard, but they're just not very tough." Yeah, I mean, I, Ford couldn't have said it better himself. 
Yeah. And obviously Ford learned a lot from Patino. It's uh. incredible. I, I, if, if you can't, if you tell me they're not texting day and night, like that right there is enough. That's yeah. evidence. <laughs> but circling back to Ford specifically on this game, he may very well be right about this group of players and what they don't do and what they don't seem to get. That's fine, but it's your job to make something work with them, right? Like uh, we've, we've said it before, like simplify it, strip it down, give them an insultingly easy, fundamental high school style man-to-man defense, whatever you got to do to make it easier on them because they're not guarding at all. Like VCU is not a good scoring team and they come into your gym and they've been scoring even less lately, 50 something a game and this winning streak. They're just, their defense is so good. Then they come into your gym and score 95 and make it look effortless. That's a real problem. That's the most points slew is by the way, ever allowed for an A-10 opponent. And it didn't look unbelievable, right? It's not like, like VCU, um, you know, had a guy scoring 45 or something like that. I mean, like they, they, they just, they just carved up the defense with ease. So I guess my point is even if he's right, he's letting himself off the hook because like, if, if they're not getting it, what can they get? You, you know, what, what can you do to solve for that? What can you do to mitigate if not completely solve it? That that's on him. So like half right, halfway there, but at some point he's got to go. I haven't been able to figure it out. I don't know what to do with this team. They, I, they, they just don't do anything well defensively. It's now, right now, as we record this, uh, it's eight thirteen p.m. on on Sunday evening. Uh, I, I'm going to steal a a line from uh, Caleb Presley here. Uh, Pete, can we do a new segment presented by Two Men in a Garden? Sure. Okay. Let's see where you're going with this. So, so Travis Ford is about to. They're about to release a, an interview. Uh, Martin Kilcoin, I believe on Fox two. Yes. See Fox two. Okay. So Martin Kilcoin sat down with Travis Ford. Uh, and, uh, I'm trying to find the tweet now. I lost it. Um, it's basically, he's going to talk about, I guess they're going to talk about the season and whether he's worried about getting fired. Uh, the actual tweet is tonight at 9 PM Fox two, my visit with coach T Ford, St. Louis men's basketball coach on this year's bad season. Is he worried he'll be fired? How does he view his eight-year run at SLU? Pete, I want you to put on your Travis Ford hat in this new segment presented by Two Men in a Garden and 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 sit there, you know, Travis Ford sitting there in this photo that clearly wasn't uh, staged. Um, and I want you to tell tell us what Travis Ford is going to say in this interview. Remember, we are, we're recording this at, at 8.14 p.m. All right, Zach's proving it with his phone. Right. So, yeah. We're, we're about 45 minutes before that show kicks off. But so, Zach, I think he's going to start with the fact that he's never had a team with this many injuries. And just <laughs> dealing with those injuries all year has been a, a, a real burden. Uh, they they started mo- and played almost the entire non-conference schedule without the guy who was going to be their starting center. Um, th- they played the first, what, 11 games without him. They had another player leave the team unexpectedly midseason, who was a starter when when the season uh, started out. Um, Sincere Parker, who, as everybody knows, has been on fire lately, uh, only played the first four games 
for us before coming back halfway into the conference season and only now is getting healthy and showing what he could have been doing all season long, right? Um, this is it's just a group of guys who they're 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 good guys. They're they're trying their hardest. There's a lot that they got to learn, especially on the defensive end, and they're just not there yet. And we're we're just as a unit close but not as close as we need to be, not as disciplined or as tough as we need to be. And just it, it's a shame that things broke this way because you wonder how things could have been different had we been healthy, had all our guys been eligible, not getting hurt. Uh, Mike Meadows, we just lost Mike Meadows for the year. Now we've got a young point guard out there alone instead of having a 50-year senior alongside him to help guide him. Uh, that Just a lot of really tough breaks this year and it shows you how fine aligned it is between a successful season and ultimately an unsuccessful one all right p now we're going to turn it around and mm -hmm. you're gonna you're gonna ask me uh am i uh, me as travis ford are, am i worried about being fired <laughs> all right Zach. All, all right travis are you worried given how this season has gone are you worried about losing your job as head coach of st louis university no, you know what? Uh, you know, a lot of people like to like to talk online. Uh, they like to be the they like to the negativity. I I don't really get into that. Um, you know, I'm not worried about it. all I can can all I can control is is one game at a time trying to get these young men to to be to be tough on defense, to rebound, to really give it their all, and, and make a run here at the end of this season and prove what this team can really be. Because I I've seen them in practice, and it's a different team in practice. Uh, so, you know, no, I'm not worried about what, what anybody else is saying. We're worried about what's going on in our locker room and, and what we can control. And we're going to take it one game at a time. Uh, still a lot of season left to be played. I think you nailed it. I think that's it. And you, and were, more, scene. you were more committed to the bit than I was too, because I started out saying third person, what he would say. And then I shifted into first person, just, just recklessly. I needed to rehearse that a little bit more, but you just, you got it on the first take. Uh, I think I'm going to move to Hollywood, Pete. You should. You should. You're, yeah. you're wasting your time in St. Louis. I know. Uh, following this goddamn program. Um, <laughs> well, that was that was uh, that was being Travis Ford, a new segment presented by Two Men in a Garden. Um, speaking of Two Men in a Garden, Pete, we love Two Men in a Garden. We do, Zach. We really love Two Men in the Garden. Last week, I talked about one of their partner products, Float Trip Jalapenos. And is that like week, float, trip, float Trip cherries uh, soaked in Everclear? Something like that. Okay. Yeah, no, but this is for the people who just want to sit there and eat a jar of jalapenos or pickles or whatever uh, out on the the Hoosa. But um, the th this River, week, please. I tried their for their cultured float people. Trip. I mean, I was uncultured. I think everybody knows that by now. Yes. Um, float trip pickles. So this one, the label says sweet and spicy pickles and jalapenos. I cracked it open actually today because I knew I had to do another ad read. And, and I had this in the back of the fridge and, uh, and, and hadn't gotten to it yet. Opened it up today. And I got to say, these are some of the most unique pickles I've ever had. The label's a little misleading. It's not pickles and jalapenos. It's really just pickles. And it's kind of the hamburger chip style where they're thin, ridge-cut pickles. They're sweet, they're spicy, and they've got that kind of vinegar, dill, traditional pickle thing going on at the same time. 
Really unique, complex flavor profile. I liked it a lot. Honestly, it's a shame it's not burger season right now because I think these would add a lot of zing to your burger. Good crunch. I I really, really like the flavor of these things, Zach. Um, and I and as I've said before, I'm not the guy who likes sweetness in my pickles typically, but this has just the right amount. So head over to twominutegarden.com, check out their friends' products, go to the section for float trip pickles, relish, and jalapenos, and and grab these things. They're they're really good, really unique, and uh, you know it's it's all it's all made in the same place. Two men in a garden, and and get get uh, nine ninety nine nationwide shipping over there at two men in a garden dot com. This picture that Gilcoin uh, tweeted out, yeah, like there's so much like his desk it has a Gatorade and a water on it as if he's doing a press conference after a game. I think that's funny. I love, I love that. That's so, that's so ridiculous. It's a nice office. The offices have come. Uh, yeah. That, that's a new, uh, that's in the champion center. It's in the champion center. That's I don't know what Travis way. Ford's doing in there. I mean, Sorry. yeah, <laughs> I thought it was funny. Oh. I'm laughing. I'm laughing. I thank just, you, thank you. I'm going to let it hang. Yeah. Um, let's go around the A-10 uh, where things aren't any less sicko. Uh, Tuesday the 13th, 75-59, Dayton takes down Duquesne. It was a really tight game until it wasn't. Dayton scored 20 points in a row to put it away at the end. Uh, I was really hoping that Duquesne was going to win this one. I I had that thought in the morning. I really did. Uh, Dayton said a lot of uh, close calls. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Mason ninety, Washington sixty seven. That's the Georges. Uh, Mason led by as much as thirty in the first half. This was over real. This is the antithesis of the Dayton Duquesne game. This game was over like ten minutes in. George Mason had an unbelievable non conference. They kind of have been a little bit of a disappointment in conference and uh, man, oh man. And we'll get to this soon when we preview them. But George Washington has really been bad lately. I, I got to say Mason is uh, clearly the better George. Yes. Uh, neither of them are great Georges. Uh, Davidson 71, LaSalle 56. Not surprising there. Uh, Wednesday, the 14th, UMass 69. Nice. Richmond 59. Uh, bad news for a first place team on the bubble, and it was Richmond, uh, as I believe a home loss to the UMass squad is going to do them in uh, for an at large bid possibility. Yeah, that's a tough one. That's a tough uh, one. Bonaventure 85, Fordham 67, uh, Loyola 64, St. Joe's 59. This Loyola team, I I think we might have uh, the, the rumors of their demise have been. Uh, Premature. They've come on really strong. I think they've actually won nine of ten now that I think of it. Um They're, they they've they've looked great. Yeah, I don't like it. I don't. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't like it. I know. Um, this Dayton team. Uh, we're going to talk about that seventy. Their 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 next game against Fordham. But is this Dayton team in any danger of losing an at large bid with losses here? Sure, okay. they absolutely could. Like, I mean, could, like, like they look like a lock right now, but I think any any A ten team is a couple shocking losses away from from losing it. The thing so far, Dayton's lost two conference games. They've both been quality, yeah, losses, right? Like they they've they've been on the road. They've been to good teams. They haven't affected their AP ranking. They really haven't affected their net much. But I think Dayton is at the point now where 
a bad loss here could could really hit them hard. They almost suffered one. Uh, talk about this Fordham game. 78 to 70, Dayton pulled one out over Fordham. Again, always a little bit of a close call, and Fordham would have been a really bad loss for them. Uh, Richmond, meanwhile, got back on track. George Washington will do that. 90 to 74 is the score there. LaSalle, 82, UMass, 81. That one surprised me, as I'll get into in a minute. Uh, Duquesne, 66. St. Joe's, 56. Tough week for St. Joe's. By the way, um, St. Bonaventure, 81, Zach Davidson, 80 in overtime. And this was a controversial ending. Did you see it? No. <laughs> so what, ha- what happened here is what ha- happened was Connor Cochera. I think he had like 29 points in the game. He is um, Day- Dayton has a three to, to tie or sorry. Davidson has a three attempts a three to tie it in overtime get their own rebound and he winds up with the ball just what appears to be outside the line shoots three nails it and you know it kind of kind of start falls back a little bit in the process the refs go over to the monitors to review it davidson thinks number one they've just tied the game with a three-pointer and they think number two he was called for a, they were called for a foul and he's going to get a free throw attempt to win it with like no time left on the clock. As it turns out, the refs never called a foul and he had a toe on the line. So it wound up being a long two instead of a three. So instead of tied and a free throw to win it, they're down one with no chance to win it. Um, and it's game over. And they were, you know, naturally Davidson fans were upset. Bonaventure fans were like, they never called a foul. A uh, pretty wild ending, and uh, you know, I I looked at it. You see the refs' hand go up. I didn't think it was for a foul. I thought it was for him just to signal that it was like a three point attempt, right? Um, but then it turned out his toe was on the line, and there was they showed a lot of replays, and only one of the camera angles really picked up that. But but yeah, his toe was on the line. I think in the end they got it right. There wasn't a foul, but man, oh man. Um, and then Zach, we just had one more A10 game this week. Loyola 77, Rhode Island 67 on Sunday the 18th. Wasn't there a famous, not famous Billiken game, but like a Billiken game where we had a toe on the line on a three-pointer when you were there? Yeah, the, there there was definitely one. Um it was at Scott Trade, uh, I feel uh, like. Re- Reggie Bryant had one. Um, I think it was against Arizona. That's how that I knew, I think it was a I think it was, it, it was, was a, a big game. game. It yeah. was a big game. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. No. I was that the was that the uh, the Chris Sloan slam. Same game. Was that the same game? Because um, now I'm thinking. I know. I think Re- Reggie did that against at Southern Miss or something like that. Now, now I'm thinking somebody else may have been the one who had uh, the time. Was it Fisher? It may have been Josh Fisher. I don't, dude. I I just I remember it was a marquee game. I remember it was a Scott trade, and I. Got nothing else. It, yeah. Arizona sounds right. Um, doesn't really matter. Um, as a lot of things that we talk about, I talk about specifically. Um, A10 survivor picks, Pete. You're still alive. Oh, no, you're not. You're done. I'm not. As you're of not. You're done. as of that. You picked stupid- LaSalle? No, I didn't pick LaSalle. I picked them to lose. I picked LaSalle oh. to lose. I had UMass beating oh. LaSalle. And yeah. that's that's what got me. They LaSalle won by one. Right. Oh, like, like I thought, okay, I, a lot of the teams this week that were like the obvious ones to pick 
are the exact teams that I had already used. So I had to use a new team. I figured UMass against LaSalle would, would get it done. UMass had been playing pretty well. LaSalle not so much uh, tied in last place with SLU. I thought that was pretty safe, and that would get me through to next week when we had much more favorable um, <laughs> games to pick from, but unfortunately I didn't get there. So we are all done for the season, Zach. Yes, we are. Another year we failed. Um, next up, uh, Tuesday the 20th at Duquesne and Saturday the 24th versus George Washington. Unfortunately, we only know like one fan of each of these programs that exists. As, and none of them do a podcast. So we're going to try to just preview this ourselves. We are. And Zach, before we do, just to close the loop on this, it was Reggie Bryant against Arizona, December 6, 2003. Three pointer with two seconds left was changed to a two pointer, and we lost 68 to 67. Uh, never, never doubt when you and I put our heads together to figure out what happened in a Billiken game That's right. 20 years ago. So let's let's fast forward back to the present. Yes, and we're gonna look at our ex. I, I guess the future. Uh, another another red and blue team. It's it, the right. yeah. It, it you know. And it's gonna be a red out, by the way. They're telling all their fans to wear red on Tuesday, the twentieth, which is when we face Duquesne. The Dukes are fifteen and ten overall. They're five and seven in the A ten, and the league's arguably biggest disappointment. It, it they have to be. Yeah, but they were picked to finish fourth, and a lot of their fans thought they were going to be first for whatever reason. I love, I love, like, I know we stink on ice, mm -hmm. but I love watching another A-10 team who thinks they are going to be, they're poised for a breakout season, and then just... They overachieved last season. They were picked to finish last, and they finished kind of in the middle of the league. Uh, unexpectedly, and then they thought, well, we're bringing some dudes back. We're going to run it back. It's going to be great. And they've kind of been a mess. Um, but like I said, five and seven in the league. Keith Dambrod's in his seventh season as head coach. His results have been very up and down. Uh, you get very mixed thoughts from Duquesne fans on what they should do with him moving forward. Really, they're led by two fifth-year senior guards, Day-Day Grant is 6'2", 180. He was a member of the preseason all-conference first team, and he's averaging 16.7 points a game. He shoots a lot of threes, but he's barely over 32%, so not particularly efficient there. You can't put him on the line, though. He shoots 96%. I think he might be the best free-throw shooter in D1. He's the smaller of the two starting guards, but he's the, the shooting guard, the two-guard in this backcourt. The point guard is Jimmy Clark. He's 6'3", 175, and scores... 14.8 points per game. Um, he actually started his career at VCU for two seasons before doing a JUCO year and then coming back to the A-10 last year with Duquesne. He's a bit turnover prone, so I would put some pressure on him, but he also creates a lot of steals at the other end. He's not efficient from outside or the free throw line, but he is pretty good inside the arc and getting to the rim, uh, particularly outside of those two. It's really a lot of role players. The next five guys down the list, average between 6.1 and 7.6 points per game. If you're looking for a potential hot hand, uh, David Dixon has scored double digits in the past couple of games. He had 17 in their most recent game against St. Joe's. He's listed at 6'9", 215, and probably the closest thing they have to a real number three. They have some pretty good length between Dixon, the Drame twins, and then 6'10", Dusan Mahorchish, if you recognize his name. He was a former SLU recruit, I think twice. He's played for like six different schools somehow. 
Um, and they're a nice shot blocking team. Defense is their calling card. There's nothing that really stands out on the offensive end. Um, really inconsistency has been a problem for them in a 10 play. They were 10 and three in the non-conference against a honestly soft schedule, but they got to the league and started out. Oh, and five. And that's when we saw their fans really melting down, completely losing their mind. Then they won the next three. They've, they've kind of alternated losses and wins since then they've beaten Bonaventure twice. They've lost to Dayton twice. They split with St. Joe's. Otherwise they can't really beat the top half of the league. I'd say they 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 just kind of they kind of stink. They're not great. If this were a weekend game, I'd probably go. Pittsburgh's like four four and a half hours for me, uh, but unfortunately, it's never a weekend game for some reason, and I haven't been up there to see one yet. Uh, but I would love to go see the duct work free, uh, UPMC Fieldhouse or whatever they call it now, because um, it looks like a pretty nice arena. Yeah, I really want to beat this team. Like terribly, yeah. like we, yeah, I, I, if if we win two games the rest of the year, let it be Duquesne and Dayton. Dayton. Yes. Yeah. Um, we get George Washington at home. I, I think this has to be a win for us. Uh, this George Washington team, George Washington team is absolutely horrendous. They are. They are. And look, LaSalle just got their third win. Slew is still sitting on two, so Slew is now alone in last place again. All we need to do is tie with LaSalle in order to not get the 15 seed and get the 14 seed instead. But uh, these two games are going to be good opportunities for that, and especially this one. GW's 14 and 11 doesn't look bad overall, but they're three and nine in the A10. Chris Caputo's in his second year as head coach. He finished 500 last season. James Bishop is the guy. We know who he is by now. If you've been an A10 fan at all, he's the leading scorer. And he was a preseason all-conference first-teamer, just like Grant for Duquesne. He scores 17.4 points per game, which is down a surprising amount from 21.5 points last season. His two-point percentage, Zach, has decreased to 41% from over 50%, which is kind of crazy. He's a little better from three and from the line, though, uh, so he kind of makes up for it a little bit there. But um, taking it inside has not been as successful for him this season. Um, he's a fifth-year senior, like I said, and and, and everybody – Pretty knows, pretty much knows who he is by now. They've also got a 6'7", 235-pound freshman named Darren Buchanan. He averages 15.2 points per game and 6.7 rebounds per game. And another 6'8", 210-pound freshman named Garrett Johnson, who averages 13.4 points per game and 5.6 rebounds per game. Maximus Edwards is back for, for his sophomore year. He's 6'5", 215. He averages 12.6 and 6.8. The next two scorers are also freshmen and they're guards. So it's pretty crazy when you look at the top six, seven of this team, they're really, really young. Like the youngest team in the league, especially if you take Bishop out, uh, really young. They don't get much offensive production at all out of upperclassmen besides Bishop. So what does it all add up to? <laughs> A pretty bad defensive team. They allow 78.1 points per game, which is 328th in the nation. They don't foul much at all, but they don't force many turnovers. They do average over five shot shot blocks per game, but over half of those are coming from their senior center, uh, Babatunde Akingbola or Akingbola. Uh, uh, he's you did your best. Yeah, and I can never remember either because he's really a role player, right? He's got a ton of length, but he's got no offensive game at all. Um, every time I you go through like their numbers and see like, oh, they actually do this pretty well. 
the other team, the opponent, does it slightly better. So they shoot a lot of threes, but they give up a lot of threes. They average 38 and a half rebounds per game, but opponents score or average 39 rebounds against them. In fact, they're second to last in Division One, second to last in field goals allowed because they play at such a fast pace. They're top 25 in Ken Palm's adjusted tempo. They also give up 12 offensive rebounds per game, which I guess is not all that surprising with a team that uses that many freshmen. Um, crazy, crazy, crazy. But the, the biggest factor here, Zach, is that they're on an eight-game losing streak. Right. So, so they started three and one in the league. They lost that first game that I couldn't believe that triple overtime game against Fordham rattled off three wins and looked like they would be, you know, a team to at least beat in this conference. And they've been terrible since then. Most of these games have not been close at all. The smallest margin of, of victory for their opponent, I guess, in this stretch has been eight twice and everything else has been a double digit loss. So, so they're, they're lucky to lose by eight lately. This game has the potential to be an all-time stinker or an all-time record in points because you've got the two worst defenses in the league squaring off, two offenses with players capable of going off on any night, Parker, Bishop, a few other guys probably with that with a chance to do that as well. This is a fun one, Zach, because I feel like this is an A-10 Twitter sicko matchup if there ever was one. It's going to be high-scoring, bad defense, Two bad teams duking it out. It's going to be a really interesting game, and I don't know if anyone in St. Louis is going to show up to watch it. I already hate it. <laughs> um, it's it, it's literally just going to be the entire Atlantic Ten uh, Twitter laughing. It is. It, it's it, this. This is like it, there's I, so much go, going through. Going through George, the scout for George. I was just like. Oh, we're just going to, we just need to like, we're going to be made fun of basically for like yes. three hours that night. It's, it's all it's going to be. They're just going to be making fun of all, everyone involved in that game. Correct. That's exactly what's going to happen. So I, prepare I, yourself. I, for one, cannot wait to listen to this Travis Ford interview with Martin Kilcoin um, to find out how we did. Yeah. Um, yeah. Billikens, hippos on, um, Whatever night that is, the twenty fourth. Yeah, the twenty fourth. Yeah. Uh, they really should have gone with hippos. They're like, I'm never not going to call them the Colonials. I don't know. I I I I, I gotta say, I think I like Revs better. Revolutionaries. Well, the, like... the best, the the funniest part of the whole thing is that the the George Mason George Washington rivalry is the revolutionary rivalry. Right. So they just took the word. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's one way to get one over on your rival, I guess. They could have gone with Patriots just to really frustrate oh, Just like gosh. the ultimate troll move. George Washington. Yes. The pet no, just go by Pats. Pats, go Pats. Um Pete Women's basketball, an up and down week for this team. Uh they played a uh a, a, a middling to to below average Loyola team on Wednesday the 14th and looked really, really good. Uh, only to turn around and really just have a tough time with Duquesne. Uh, the Loyola game was was a lot of fun. Um, yeah. They wore pink. It was on Valentine's Day. I, I really liked the accented pink jerseys. Uh, it, it looked nice. It wasn't overdone. Uh, mm -hmm. And they're they're Nike again too, which is which is really cool. I haven't gone maybe the last couple years, but I believe they were doing off branded 
uh, jerseys for the game. And then uh, I don't remember if they, I don't know if they were auctioning them off or raffling them off or, Mm -hmm. or what it was. Um, This Loyola team, uh, sorry, Loyola chipped away at the Billikens 19 point halftime lead over the third and fourth quarters, but it wasn't enough. Uh, this Loyola team uh, was pressing and, and Mar- Martinez was just running through them at times, like mm. running by them, even with a bum knee. Uh, yeah. it, it was, I, I don't know what they're going to do with this Loyola team. McMakin, I, I mean, McMakin's been McMakin. She's still not super reliable uh, unless she is on. Um, but I, I think her improvement really has been the situational awareness that she has developed. Uh, in this one, uh, she didn't need to really be, uh, you know, she was having a really bad night in this one, but she didn't need to stop shooting because we were playing so well uh, everywhere else on the floor. So she was allowed to keep shooting. Uh, she just really never did get it together in this one. Uh, the Billiken slash line in this one was 50, uh, 44, 80. Um, Loyola shot under 37% and had just two fast break points, despite the fact that they press, um, uh, slew locked it down defensively. Uh, but they, they slipped a little in the second half. Uh, Loyola had a player in this one was like, that was having an absolute nightmare. I, I mean, slew yeah. was just abusing her. Uh, she had multiple plays where you were just like, Oh, you poor thing. You just like, I think she fumbled a ball on like a wide open layup and then just could not get it in the basket yeah. after that. Um, uh, loyal, uh, Brooklyn gray. I, I really like what Brooklyn gray has brought to this team. She's unconventional in her game. Um, she scares me to death when she starts her dribble, but yeah. I, I, I like, she's very like, she can, go, she can go down low. She reminds me a little bit of like a, a Jordan Goodwin, Jordan jet. She's very strong, very low to the ground, but also she's big for a guard too. She is. Yeah. So she can, she can really back down her players and get deep in the paint. And and she does a lot of damage that way. Uh, She had 22 points on eight of 11 shooting two of three uh, from three and four, six from the line in 31 minutes. She did foul out, but in a game that, uh, that, that can't happen in a game that uh, is close, but in this one, you'll be okay with it. Uh, Peyton Kennedy, uh, again, another player who has just come so far since mm-hmm. she's been here. Uh, I think she was just a spot-up shooter early and then just has completely rounded out her game. 16 points on 6 of 11 shooting. As we talked about, making a tough night. 5 of 19 shooting, 10 points. Only player on slew to be under 40% from the field because she took a lot of shots. Uh, and they were open shots, too. They were good shots. It wasn't like she was forcing it. The ball was getting to her. She had a shot. Take mm-hmm. it. Go ahead. Uh, Martinez, 23 minutes off the bench, six points, nine rebounds, five steals, two assists, three turnovers. Absolutely gutsy performance from her in this one. The, just the peak, peak Julia Martinez moment. We talked about Jordan Goodwin on uh, on the uh, his new team, like, can't think of him right now. Where's he? Memphis. At? He's Memphis on Memphis business. now. He's it was the pure Jordan Goodwin situation with these first two games with Memphis. This was the quintessential Julia Martinez play where she she tweaks her knee or ankle. I don't know what. 
not three seconds later, she's diving for a loose ball, getting that loose ball, and then making a play. It just, uh, she just lays it all out on the line every time. Yeah, she makes those trainers uh, very nervous. Yeah, she uh, she got taken uh, back to the tunnel, and I went over. I was like, because I was sitting right behind the the women's bench. I was like, yeah, let's let's see if she's coming back in. Yeah, she was she was putting on her putting her shoe back on and ready to go. Uh, she wore the pink uh, tape in this one, and, and I thought I thought she was going against that pro wrestling convention of of highlighting your injury. <laughs> That's true. That's a good point. No, she's fearless though, man. Um, the, they had some names on this uh, on this Loyola team, but my favorite was Thorana Kilka Carhaj, which is it's just a mouthful and a half. What do they put on the back? Is it just Carhaj on the back of her jersey? Okay, yeah, yeah that's a mouthful. Um, I think uh, Colin was calling her Kilka Carhaj. I don't think he was. was he? I think <laughs> I don't. Well, I think it was like a full name. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't really know. That's that's an odd one when you have a have an Icelandic heritage, you know, because the, the naming conventions are so different. Um, yeah, it, it's it's a it's a unique one for sure. Is she Icelandic? Yes, I'm, I'm, I'm looking her up right now. Yeah, yes. she's from Keflavik, Iceland. Wow. Of course, who doesn't know Keflavik, Iceland? Yeah, it, it's interesting though because normally, like like Ingvi, the last name would be Good Goodmanson, right? right. Like so, so they all end in son, but then, um, which means that female surnames are usually daughter, right? Right. Daughter, so, so it yeah. ends in D O T T I R. Yeah. So uh, this so one, I, I I mean, I gotta, I mean, I, I guess you'd have to see. Uh, I I'm gonna have to look that up because that's. I, I'm surprised, like the uh, the Loyola Media Guide or whatever, doesn't have a, a an explanation mm-hmm. on that. And that would be something you would. That's totally a Brian Kunderman thing to have that explanation. Um, right. Uh, but the the that Jekyll and Hyde uh, up and down week, eighty two sixty five loss against Duquesne on Saturday the seventeenth. Yeah, yeah, Jekyll and Hyde week indeed. And I, I don't know about you, Zach, but this result kind of surprised me because I well, we had talked about last week they had a really good opportunity to to win out here. And Duquesne was fifth at the time, and, and now they're up to third. This was definitely the toughest team they had left, but nonetheless, I, I thought we would give them more of a game than this, even, even in a loss. Duquesne got out to an 11-point lead after the first quarter, and even though the next three quarters were close, the Dukes outscored Slew in all four periods, which is always a little disconcerting to me. This was the second worst shooting percentage for Slew all season long, 32.4% from the field, just 22 of 68 shots. And then they were 28.6% or 6 of 21 from three. Not great. Duquesne, was, in the meantime, was, was 49% from the field, 39% from three. And that's really the game right there. It wasn't turnovers fouls free throw shooting rebounding any of that it was just bad shooting and you know i guess you got to credit duquesne's defense at least a little bit there but slew did also struggle with duquesne's size i think you said this was really a game where not having flowers was Mm -hmm. an issue she probably could have been the difference maker here even in a game with this kind of margin duquesne also they really spread out the scoring right they had five players in double figures no one over 13 points. So everyone was right there. And I think their bench players had like nine, eight, and six. So there were like eight different players scoring just about the same. 
Uh, Kyler McMakin had a pretty good game here. 24 points on eight of 19 from shooting, shooting three of seven from three Peyton Kennedy at 13 Brooklyn gray had 12 um, little, little inefficient in gray's case, but um, Julia Martinez had 10 points, eight rebounds, four assists. Look, like I said, Duquesne was fifth heading into this, this week, strongest remaining team on slew schedule but but we really thought that coming off that Rhode Island win and looking at six winnable games with this one being at home we would at least have a chance to run the table um but but this is this is not a bad Duquesne team they're pretty good they've won five straight now and they're now in the mix of like a three team log jam right outside the top two so they're going to have a chance to be a, a top four team um heading into the conference tournament they're 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 solid right I think uh maybe yeah. maybe I took them for granted a little bit, but, uh, but they're a pretty solid team. I thought the Billikens did a really good job of, of kind of, you know, Meg McConnell is, is going to be the name that people are talking about going into the game. Yeah. Um, I thought we did a great job on her for the most part. I thought she had a, she didn't really get into it until like the third, late third, early fourth quarter. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, it really was that the size issue. I thought Julia Martinez did an outstanding job on on meg mcconnell and yeah yeah this duquesne team just had the size and uh it, it's it, it, height in in the women's game is is a bit different it's a yeah. bit it's it's much more of a uh an advantage it really is you you mentioned brooklyn gray being that kind of bigger physical guard um she would have been a power forward back when yes. i was in college you know like it's it's evolved very fast and it's a big differentiator for sure. Oh yeah, very much an Angie Lewis. If you want to, yeah. if you want to remember that name, I I knew Angie. Let's re- I had, let's I had remember, classes with Angie. You know, you know, like let, remember some guys. Let's remember some gals. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, that they they uh they've it's it's amazing how fast the game has evolved and how much size there is now in the sport. Uh, like I said, you they, you're not going to find two people that can sit here and remember something that happened 20 years ago like like these two, like us too um yeah let's let's talk some baseball i mean i got the i got the the gear on you do yeah i, I have that jersey too up in my closet have you put it on not yet this season it's um, a little cold though right now there's yes. snow on the ground here dude it is it really is like one of my favorite pieces that i that i own so thank you to Thank you to Hendo for sure for hooking that up uh, a yeah. couple years ago. Um, baseball sloop picked first uh, in the A10 preseason poll. Uh, top seven teams all received at least one first place vote, and I don't know. There could be a lot of parity this season, and uh, the league may be stronger than usual. But like baseball is such a sicko sport. Yeah, college baseball it's it's fun and it's entertaining as hell. But there's no predicting what you're going to get night in, night out. That's absolutely right. Uh, you've got the metal bats. You've got, you know, bullpens full of guys that are young, inexperienced, uh, and, and no lead is safe in college baseball, especially in the midweek. Yeah, that's that's for sure. <laughs> no, no lead is safe indeed. But Zach, I think Slew maybe got as close to a safe lead as they could have in this one. Yeah, but I mean, you talk about sicko. I mean, VCU just beat NC State yesterday. Yeah, that's uh, right. Number thirteen, NC State, and they were supposed to be like they were predicted to be like a top seed. 
Mm-hmm. Um, twenty-one to ten. This is this this is one of those games where if it's like a like a football game, this is yeah. exciting. This is a fun game to sit to be at, right? Baseball it's a high scoring Big Ten game. Baseball. This is a chore. Twenty-one yeah. to ten baseball game is an absolute slog. <laughs> like I'm leaving in the in the sixth. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, guys. I can't do it. Yeah, and the score is probably much different at that point, usually, right? I mean, like, yes. like this is one that evolved every inning. Like, like there were there were very few blank frames uh, in this one. So this was a win over St. Thomas in Port Charlotte, Florida, on Friday the sixteenth. Slew had seven in the first, four in the second, five in the third, and they weren't done there. Hayden Moore, Tyler Fogarty, Drew Winters, and Graham Mastros all homered. Moore and Fogarty led the Bills with four RBIs apiece. And then Mastros and Patrick Closey each scored four times. To their credit, St. Thomas managed to get at least one run across home in every inning except the first. So they didn't have a bad day at the plate either. Um, just uh, just ran into an offensive juggernaut and slew. If you're the starter, Jackson Holmes, you have to love a game like this. He went three and two-thirds innings, gave up five hits and five earned runs, and, and still his victory was never really in doubt. That's a big a big thank you to the boys when uh, when you're not feeling it necessarily that day or they're just getting to you. Um, St. Thomas stuck with their starter for two and a third innings in which he had 14 runs across the plate, 13 of those run, uh, earned. Uh, just a That's a tough, tough debut, Zach, if you're that guy. Uh, not great, Bob. Not great at all. Um 13-8 win to follow it up against Illinois State in Port Charlotte, Florida on Friday the 16th. The Billikens had a 3-1 lead going into the third. Gave up six runs in the top of the inning. But wait, there's more. They answered with six of their own in the bottom just as it was start to get a little bit nervy. Uh, unfortunately, all these games were on flow sports, so we kind of had to had to go from the, uh, the, the stats. Uh, Tommy Ray started but gave up seven earned runs. Jack Weber got the win in four innings of middle relief. Uh, Evan Gray got the save uh, as the Billikens added a late uh, few insurance runs. Hayden Moore homered again. Austin Newig also went deep with a three-run shot. Patrick Cloacy led slew with four runs batted in. Uh, the Tommies had to be having nightmares Friday evening because they got to take on the Billikens once again Saturday the 17th. Yeah, ping, they sure did. Ping. That's ping. all they heard in their dreams. <laughs> and they heard it some more on Saturday. 15-7 was the win this time for SLU. But SLU needed a big rally to win, and, and they delivered. St. Thomas was up 7-2 heading into the bottom of the sixth. SLU tied it with a five-run inning and then got seven more in the seventh and added an insurance run in the eighth. Nothing spectacular in this one. Not a bunch of home runs um, like in the first couple games in port charlotte they just strung a bunch of singles together and took advantage of five saint thomas errors uh which which sure came in handy cole smith is the one who opened the floodgates with an rbi single in the sixth uh, moore and newegg had three rbis each slew used five pitchers charlie weber started and the first reliever henry Littman is the one who ended up with the win right place right time sometimes is what it comes down to uh in in middle relief in college baseball that's for sure yeah, I mean, you look at these games, and these are all prime examples of what we're talking about. The Billikens go into the uh, the fourth inning, the bottom of the fourth, with a 
uh, a 16 to two lead. And then from there they give up. I mean, they score five runs in the fifth, sixth, and seventh all to, like together, but the fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh, uh, I mean, St. Thomas scores, you know, uh, what is that? Three, seven, eight runs, you know, over the, so I, I mean, there, the swings are there in, in the next game, you look at that Illinois state game and we talked about it straight up is that, uh, Illinois state is up. Uh, it's that, that six run swing there in the third on both sides, right. Illinois state gets six runs. Oh my, in, 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 in the ma- in major league baseball, that's, yeah, that's a done. game. Over. That's the game. But in yeah. the third inning, you can come back and, and hits and get six runs there. And then in that final game, of course, um, you're looking at, uh, the, that five and seven runs in the sixth and seventh, where right. you've got a seven Oh lead. You're the Tommies. Then in the bottom of the six, you're like, okay, again, if it's major league baseball, six run lead heading into the six, you're, you're done. It's over. Like, it's going to be a tough road to hoe, but in this one, again, 12 runs in two innings and, and it's a totally different ball game from there on out. Right. Uh, baseball is just an insane sport, especially in uh, the non-conference. Uh, the Illinois state game on Sunday, the 18th was canceled due to weather. The next, next up for the base Billikens will be three game series versus Western Illinois in Millington, Tennessee. Uh, good old Millington. You ever been there? I have not. No, I I don't think I've ever even heard of it. Yeah, me neither. Um, Friday the twenty third through Sunday the twenty fifth. Uh, softball Billikens played in the Roar City Invitational in Nashville, hosted by Tennessee State. Uh, a tough weekend for these Billikens. Um, uh, cancellations, some losses. Uh, overall, not great, Pete. No, not great, but I will say they their games today started later than scheduled. They're playing okay. Indiana. They're playing Indiana State right now, and they're up for nothing in the top of the fourth. So there's that, right? But but first off, this weekend they lost five nothing against Tennessee Martin on Friday the sixteenth. UT Martin picked up three runs in the first, two more in the fourth. Their leadoff batter hit a solo shot that ended up really being all they needed. Natalie Sullivan and Allie Marietta had two hits apiece, but they're not that close to each other in the lineup. So Slew just couldn't string any hits together. Taylor Hockman took the loss. She pitched the first three and a third and gave up four earned runs. Isabel Royal came on in relief and finished the last two and two thirds innings. Like you said, Tennessee state and Indiana state were both canceled on Saturday, the 17th due to weather, but um, Slew got back on the diamond against Tennessee state on Sunday, the 18th Zach. Yeah, they did. And I forgot that, uh, I forgot that, uh, these, this is the first year of, uh, of the Nike uniforms. Oh yeah, that's right. That's right. Looking at the, the picture, uh, as it was really the, the, they're wearing the, uh, the pinstripes mm-hmm. looking classy as hell. Yeah, um, they look sharp. Sunday against Tennessee State, uh, they dropped a five-three decision. Uh, Nas Simpson homered in the in the second. Uh, Armstrong for Tennessee State singled. Ah, uh, dude, I have no idea. I, I'm trying to read this off the box score because it <laughs> it just happened and we haven't had time to update it. Yeah, well, Tennessee Kine- State's they, they scored five straight runs to start right. the game. Jane Kineski singled up the middle. Uh, drove in two RBIs, including Newbanks and Sullivan. 
Al, what is that? Allie. Say? Allie, why is it capitalized? It looks like all. Yeah, Allie Marietta uh, singled to left field. I'm so confused by that. Marietta singled to left field, uh, driving in Sullivan and sending Newbanks to third to make it five to three. But that is all the Billikens could muster late. Uh, and as you said, they're up five nothing on the Sycamores uh, as of this recording. Yeah, they are. So hopefully they hang on in that one um, to pull one win back from from the weekend. But yeah, shame to have two cancellations. You know, they've had a lot of games uh, washed out so far this season. Just unlucky. Uh, run us down the track and field uh, results after I tell you that next up for the the softball Billikens will be Western Kentucky for the Hilltopper Classic. It features Detroit Eastern Illinois. Yeah, in track and field, they were at the Don DeNoon Invitational at SIUC on Saturday the 17th um, and, and did pretty well. This is the last regular season event. On the women's side, Samantha Kunzo won the weight throw with a toss of 59-475. Aslan Hyder was uh, first in the pole vault with a mark of 10 and, and f- five and a quarter. The way that they write this, I agree, Zach, is so weird. Um, Sydney Williams and Caroline Bell finished first and second in the high jump, respectively, with jumps of four foot 11. Brianna Cummings and Avery Minnis came in first and second in the mile with times of 523.97 and 526.95, respectively. And Star Scott won the 800 meters with a time of 222.34. On the men's side, Evan Brenderman won the long jump at 22 feet one inch. While Jaden Kawaito finished first in the high jump at 6'6, six, six. Uh, Lucas Ivanowski and Kyle Gurich placed first and second in the mile with times of 523.97 and 526.95. Uh, those are not the right times <laughs> at all. No, sorry, this is coming off Slew's website. They put the wrong times in. I'll, I'll correct those eventually, but they, they copied the women's times, unfortunately, twice. Um, their times were lower than that. I know it. The Bills four by four hundred meter relay team also finished first with a time of three twenty five ninety six. Like I said, that's the last regular season meet they've got. The A ten indoor championships are February twenty third and twenty fourth down in Virginia Beach. So they'll head down there in a few days, and uh, and hopefully show well. It's always hard to say, Zach, how like where they stand in indoor because they don't they never do team scores, right? It's all individual scores, and. Um, it's going to be interesting to kind of see how things shake out down in Virginia beach. Uh, so I'm learning that name is actually, uh, the actual Irish pronunciation is Ashlyn. Oh, what well, I said, As- Aslan. I, well, the, 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 uh, the American Irish pronunciation is Iceland. All right. I get it. See, and I, and I'm, it's, it's, I'm it's, of Irish, Irish. it's of Irish origin. Uh, the name is a variant of I, Isling. Uh, which means dream or vision in Irish. Gotcha. Had I known that was an Irish name, I think I probably would have gotten it, but I did not know that's what they were going for. Yeah, no. Uh, I just kind of decided to look that one up because I'd never heard the name before. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the things you, the more you know, people. Uh, tennis on the men's side, 5-2 win versus Eastern Illinois at St. Clair Tennis Club. Thursday the 15th, Fukushima, Bahoon, and Vasquez all claim singles points. While Fukushima and Vasquez won in doubles, Sue won both a singles and doubles match by default as well. Uh, that sounds weird. Uh, 4-3 win at Austin P. 
Sunday the 18th, Austin P took the doubles point and beat Slew in both the number one and number two singles. Uh, but Slew's three through six singles took care of business with Luca Leonardo, Theo Ortis, Valentin Vasquez, and Adam Bahoon all winning. Women, 7-0 win at or versus Eastern Illinois at St. Clair Tennis Club. Also on Thursday, uh, Billikens won all six singles matches. Mintasova, Hesham, Alashina, Ferreira, Genez, and White. And two of the three doubles matches. First 3-0 start since 2015 and 16. Next up, the women host Northern Iowa on Friday the 23rd. Both teams head to Chicago State on Saturday the 24th. Pete, are, are, are the, is women's tennis back? I'd say they're back. Best start they, in, in eight years. Yeah. For whatever reason, we do decently at women's tennis. Like for a for a northern Midwest random A ten school, we do okay at women's tennis. Seems like it involves a lot of international recruiting. But I'm not uh, I, am I gonna am I do I gotta be the the guy that says that like majors at SLU are probably favorable. That could very well be. I don't I, know. I, I'm not going to like, I, well, I think, you know, like SLU, SLU has a higher rate of women than men. Yeah. I think that's true of most colleges right now though. Right. Right. Okay. Fair play. I didn't know that, but I, I knew SLU has historically, but I always thought they had more, uh, more majors geared towards like, that women were more interested in the men, but anyway, I'll shut up now. Um, talk myself into a grave. Uh, yeah, uh, that's going to do it, Pete. I, uh, cannot wait to listen to what is currently airing on Fox too. Yes. Yeah. Very excited. They're just getting underway on that. So maybe you should switch over now, Zach. Yep. Uh, that that's it for us. Uh, uh, you can tell us if we know ball or not, but you know, go Bills. Go Bills.